Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show. I am Mayor Watt, and today's episode is titled Dark and Darker Decidedly Disappointed and More News. Uh, we've already selected all of the articles. We're going to be looking at uh, Canon 7 Craziest Lenses. I'm actually just going to refer you to a video for you to watch. Uh, Ticketmaster sucks. Can blockchain be the cure? No. Um, well, the article is going to say something, but uh, I'm going to make a judgment call here and say no. An executive decision. Uh, box office John Wick. Chapter 4. Impressive. Nearly $30 million opening day. We're going to take a look inside a $218 million private island in Palm Beach, Florida. A Carvana customer says that their luxury car turned out to be stolen. A Pennsylvania school district has filed a lawsuit against Norfolk Southern for its uh, East Palestine um, train crash. We're going to talk about a refill shop, which gets rid of the container. You bring your own, basically, and hopefully not just cupping your hands. Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark have struck a deal to manage their 200 fighter jets in a single fleet. We're going to take a look at 12 cities around the world where you can live cheaply from around $300 a month. How about tech workers are talking about tick or they're talking on TikTok about well, fake work. <laughs> And finally, we're going to take a look at the situation with Dark and Darker being delisted de from Steam. That still is an ongoing thing. Ready for today's episode? I am. Season 2, episode 84. Let's get into it. Now, hopefully the music isn't too loud. There's music playing and... Some of us can hear it. I don't know. So, what do you think of today? Interesting news day? Slow news day? How many articles do you think there were? It was a very slow news day. I would say there were probably maybe only a few hundred. Um, there just weren't that many. It's on the weekend, so there usually aren't. I didn't take um, a look. I didn't dig through, um, you know, keep track of how many, but you can actually go back if you just do a, if you scroll down over here and then you click on next page, um, you'll get 50 articles at a time, right? Just the headlines um, and maybe a thumbnail if, the, if it's provided by the source, but you can change that to 25. Um, and I mean, you can tell that there's only there's already four hours back on the first page. So that tells you something. Yeah. So today. I asked the question, would John Wick use crypto? Um, and uh, I've been throwing questions into the little search boxes periodically to see if anybody um, sees them. Um, one time I said, uh, does anybody see this? <laughs> but <laughs> I, I'm doing it very subtly, and I'm wondering if anybody's going to catch it. One of these days, it, it, 
it's in the video, it's in the VOD. So if you watch it within the next 60 days, then you'll see a question that gets posed in the uh, search. And it might have something to do with the news um, that we're actually talking about or news from an article that I've read somewhere else, um, somewhere in hometown. You know, most of the stuff that um, news wise uh, gets filtered into hometown um, eventually. If not within the last 24 hours, then, you know, maybe the next day, but whenever it gets published and we have a bunch of sources and it gets added, expanded and contracted depending on, well, the quality of the product that's being read, seen, um, cause I use this every day, um, personally and professionally, uh, and uh, I hope other people uh, really dig this too. So, uh, come over to hometown.com and check it out. Uh, that said, you want to get into today's news? Sounds good. Okay. So the very first article is over in the Prime Glass channel. And this is, um, it's kind of a riff off of the idea of what a prime lens is, which is a fixed focus lens. Um, and I'm into photography. I, I like the technology uh, around it. Um, and I like taking photographs for me though, the only camera that really truly exists is the one that's in my hand at the time, uh, which means it's typically my phone that said, a look at Canon's seven craziest lenses. And, uh, this is over at F stoppers and let me do something real quick. When you click this little link, it'll take you right here and then you can watch this video. Um, it's by Alex cook over at fstoppers.com and I'm not going to play the video. I'm just going to make a mention that there is a 5,200 millimeter F 14 lens from the sixties. Um, and I don't know what they're going to call the most useful options in today's market, but it's probably going to be a 50 millimeter, uh, F 1.2, 1.3, um, lens so that it's fast it's wide open so that you get a picture perfect focal length of what the typical human eye is um but i'm not sure so um those who are listening to this follow the link through hometown it's already um in the show notes if you're watching this over on youtube um if you are uh, watching this right now in chat there's the link in the chat and also in the show notes here and then it'll be in the podcast as well in in the, the podcast show notes um, and then you can go over and you can watch this video over at f stoppers um, i have purchased and sold um, i don't know probably two dozen cameras um, not at the high end of things you know i've never spent five thousand dollars on a camera body alone um, for me it's always been about the glass and so when you are um, looking for a good quality lens, then you um, have to do some due diligence. And I just learned that a DP review is actually being shut down um, after 20 years or something like that of being in existence. Um, it's, it was for a long time, it was my go-to and then it got acquired in the kind of the demeanor of the, uh, community had changed at least for me um so i strictly looked I, I use everything as a utility to see which lens is really important to me what i want to accomplish 
And now I don't have any fixed community. I just do a whole bunch of research. That said, go and check it out. Um, fstoppers.com, a look at Canon's seven craziest lenses. Did you want to say anything? I don't have anything else to add on that one. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of jumped the gun. I, I didn't in- introduce us, didn't I? Well, come on. You should have said something to me. You I seemed anxious to get going and I didn't want to get in your way. And this is how the sausage is made, folks, because I'm not even going to re-edit this. I'm not going to spin it and rejigger it. I actually was highly focused on the article. So let, let me fix this real quick. <laughs> okay. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the AI from on high. The one, the only, well, AI. Still no name. No visual other than the voice go for it good evening hometown citizens (laughs) a few minutes into the stream uh 10 minutes (laughs) oh hot mess i'm a professional but let's go on to the next article thanks for uh, coming i'm not sure if the uh, ai is going to continue to show up uh, based on how i'm treating the ai right now The next article is uh, over in the Late Night Geeks. Ticketmaster sucks. Can blockchain be the cure? And that's why I said in the intro, yeah, no. Ticketmaster sucks. And nothing's going to be the cure. The problem with Ticketmaster is it's a guaranteed purchase, right? So a stadium can sit there and sell 10,000 tickets to Ticketmaster at a fixed cost. It's a known quantity and everybody gets their money immediately. They don't have to dribble it out for, you know, 30 days or however long from beginning to end. Um, I bought tickets six, seven, eight months ago for something. Um, it's ridiculous. So now the, the it's so far out that that money would be idle if not for the fact that Ticketmaster would just plop out a big chunk of cash because they know that they're going to get people that are going to buy it. We also know that they can raise the rates as supply and demand. What are they surge pricing kind of a thing? So, uh, this is an article over at, um, tech, uh, wait, yeah. TechCrunch, right? Yeah. It's over at TechCrunch. Um, <clears throat> if you are longing for a ticket master alternative, you're not alone. Whether you are a fan of Taylor Swift, The Cure, or Bad Bunny, reasons abound to resent the self-described world-leading live entertainment ticketing platform. Really, that just comes down to the fact that they're paying a whole bunch of money and they've they've got people that are going to these artists and saying, hey, we can sell, and venues, and saying, lock us in you don't know how much money you're going to get. And if you have to be the one that vends the tickets, you really aren't going to know you're going to have to have all of this infrastructure and blah, blah, blah. Frankly, I think that this is the same as, um, self-publishing of music or art or whatever. If people were to do it, if, if companies themselves were to do it, it would cut out the middleman and raise the margin 
except that you would have to have the infrastructure in place. So why isn't there somebody out there that's willing to take the risk and develop a system that wipes out Ticketmaster? Right, and I think the problem is the venues have every incentive to work with Ticketmaster. The artists have every incentive to work with Ticketmaster. They know it goes out to a large audience. People are used to it, et cetera. Um, but I agree. I mean, Ticketmaster has had monopoly on this for decades. This is not a new issue. No, not even close. And if it would be fine if the face value of the ticket was what I was getting, but that's not what happens. You know, you have all of these little things. I mean, why do I have to pay just so that I can print for crying out loud? It's my own ticket. And wasn't Ticketmaster, I mean, I know they're not the only one, but I think there was a class action about fees. I mean, at least a decade ago, I think it was the same issue. Um, I'm not sure. I've, I'm pretty certain there was. I don't know what year it was in. Yeah, it was a... Um, Ticketmaster Entertainment Incorporated has agreed to a $400 million class action settlement over allegations that illegally overcharged customers with certain fees when they placed tickets from uh, when they purchased tickets from Ticketmaster. So now they're um, doing the same thing, arguably. This was almost the, a decade ago. The settlement was kind of a, a joke because I think you had to apply it toward. Um, tickets events and of course you couldn't find any that were wherever you were or whatever i mean so it became it was kind of meaningless if i recall so um it was actually 400 million dollars for a ticket that was purchased between 1999 and 2013 you could be entitled to benefits from ticketmaster for the class action and this was in 2014 um yeah pretty wild so everything old is new again but this is actually about the fact that they've basically got a lock on everything um the platform oh so here it says the cures frontman robert smith said he was sickened by Ticketmaster's fees many of us felt vindicated um the platform then refunded some fees but scalpers are now at it too and selling entire Ticketmaster accounts instead of tickets is there still hope for concert goers? And this is the author of this article. So let's go over to Anna Heim um, over at techcrunch.com. Um, it's recognize the graphic plus. Where did we see that before? Uh, maybe on another article related to Ticketmaster. Oh, I don't remember, but we've definitely seen that graphic before. Um, interesting. So, um, to, to be part of this, you have to join TechCrunch Plus, but I wanted to draw attention to it. And you all out there can make the choice if you're interested in this. And of course, they're playing Monopoly. Um, I don't think the article talks about maybe the possibility of using uh, blockchain, but it's such an abstract con concept for people. Um, how are they going to purchase the tickets and who's going to maintain the integrity of the, that ticket, the, the provenance of it? Um, I don't know. Ticketmaster certainly, I think, needs a little bit more moderation. Somebody needs to pay attention to it and, and um, competitors need to you know, lean into it and provide a service. But the problem is 
Ticketmaster's wealth means that all they have to do is go somewhere and say, hey, we will pay you for 90% of your outstanding tickets. You can keep the other 10% so that you can give them away or uh, do your own pricing for a private sale. But it's a known quantity. So it says, if you are longing for a Ticketmaster alternative, you're not alone. Why hasn't there been one? It isn't because the technology doesn't exist. Exactly. It seems like it'd be easier to have a competitor now than several years ago. Um, now, the problem, again, would be swaying the venues and the artists, but all they'd have to do is get one major artist to sign with them, and that would probably encourage other people to jump over. Um and the consumers would love it. I mean, the consumers are not fans of Ticketmaster. Yeah. Now I'm really curious about the contracts that are involved here. Are they locked in for multiple years? Um, do they have the They've ability to be, walk away? Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it uh, reminds me of we've seen predatory practices like in retail. It's got to be something similar because otherwise. But again, what's the alternative right now? Like there's not something that's on the level of Ticketmaster that does ticket sales. Individual venues have some ticket sales, but not for like a full tour or. Right. Yeah, this is it's to me, it seems like they've got a, a lock on it. But if they can point to other competitors that just can't step up to it. But the anti-competitive practice is that they can bulk purchase, whereas others can't, which means you have to be a billion dollar business already in existence, capable of leveraging that liquid capital. So, so I mean, but if you're somebody like an Amazon or a, any major company, couldn't you enter this space pretty easily? Other than the fact that boots on the ground get you the contracts, you know, the, the different, the major, um, the major element that can impact this is if another company provides the same level of performance, but at a smaller margin so that there's more profit going to the venue and to the artists, the, the musicians or whoever is on the stage. Um, that way Ticketmaster is kind of hobbled because they have so much weight and so much money that they would have to outlay to compete, but so would everybody else. Eventually there would be stasis again, but at least there would be adequate comp uh, competition where the, the benefit goes to the customer, to the consumer. It just seems like Ticketmaster is uh, the bully, you know? Um, here, let's go on. Uh, the next article is in um, uh, Variety. And we aggregated into the Continuity Report, which is a show about movies and entertainment. Um, this, in particular, is uh, the box office tickets for John Wick Chapter 4 unloads impressive 29.4 million opening day. I've got this on pre-order, by the way, so I'm going to be, I have the other three already. Um, yeah, we're thinking he's back. John Wick chapter four is firing off franchise best opening weekend at the domestic box office, eyeing a finish that could stretch north of $70 million. 
Liongate's action sequel got off to an impressive start with a $29.4 million opening day from 3,855 locations. Well, J. Kim Murphy over at Variety.com is the author of this. And um, I can't wait to see it, but I don't go to the movie theaters anymore. (laughs) Well, if it's anything like the earlier ones, it'll be great. So uh, the John Wick series has achieved a consistent growth that most modern Hollywood franchises can only envy, beginning with the storyline written from scratch and following with a series of entries that have proven to be bigger than the last. The opening weekend gross for Chapter 4 looks to blast past 56.8 million debut earned by the series' third entry, 2019's Parabellum. Um, They did lose... Um, an actor and uh, apparently they had already completed everything, right? Right. Do you mean Lance Reddick? Yes. Who played Turon, I think? Yes. And, the concierge. Um, yeah, the concierge. But um, the there's a whole world-building element where people are talking about pre- prequels to this and further sequels um but reddick had such a fan following that uh, people are shocked um well he was pretty young too so it wasn't i mean we see a lot of celebrity deaths but typically much he was only 60 years old i believe yep he was um and apparently it was um natural causes so just something happened and unfortunately um that powerhouse personality added to the tone the 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 environment you know and i love the world building in this you know that there are people that have done research into how much the coins are worth i think this is kind of this is the kind of thing that you could actually do um like a, a phd on it's the type of world building where there's enough information potentially there where people to do research and talk about the element of society um fictional or or not the, the idea is really that there's a lot of world building there apparently it's got a glowing rating of 92 percent over at uh, rotten tomatoes as well i'm not surprised I'm waiting for this to hit the shelves so that I can actually watch it. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm so interested that I want to actually go to the movie theater and see it, but that's really saying something. <laughs> yeah. So let's see, is there anything else in here? Um, I can't believe Shazam is even mentioned in the article. Um, that kind of fell on its face, even with the momentum of its previous, I was just going to say, it's interesting that a lot of times sequels go downhill from the original, but if, I mean, looking at the revenues, John Wick is going in the opposite direction. So like that's saying something, I mean, they're, it's either the acting or the story building or whatever. Yeah. And that's it. That it's, it's a combination of everything. Plus every time Keanu Reeves says anything 
everybody falls in love with him more. Um, so, and he does a great job as acting as uh, John Wick. So let's uh, let's hope for more. Uh, I would love to see him in even more world building. I was going to say he was he even impressed researchers because <laughs> they named something after him based on the John Wick movies, but they called it Keanu something. It was um, a fungus, I think. Wasn't wait no, it was it was uh, wait what was it called? It was something that kills fungus. Yeah, I mean, it, and it was based on the John Wick character, which I just thought was funny because you don't see a lot of that from somebody's acting. Yeah, it's a fungus-killing compound um, called Keanumycins. Yeah, but he said that he thinks it's really cool, but he would have preferred that it be named after John Wick because he's not the killer. John Wick is, so... Neat. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next article. Um, this one is over in, pardon me while I throw some stuff into the chat. There you go. Um, let's take a look inside a $218 million private island in Palm Beach, Florida's most expensive home for sale. Developers built a brand new house on Tarpon Isle, uh, turned the existing structure into a guest house and added a giant pool, tennis courts, and other amenities. So this is an island surrounded by water that has a giant pool. Um, wow. And for those of you that don't see this, it looks like a, a hotel or something. I mean, it looks like a <laughs> complex, not a house. Absolutely. And it has what looks like an Olympic-sized pool. I mean, it's amazing. A private island in Palm Beach could become uh, the most expensive home ever sold in Florida if it gets its asking price of $218 million. Um, I don't know if this is a video. It is a video. Um, but anyway, it's over at CNBC.com by Robert Frank and Ratika Shaw. And let's see. I won't go through the whole thing um, line by line, but... Apparently, a developer purchased it and built on top of it it has its own little driveway over a bridge a private island in palm beach florida see this kind of stuff is just so overwhelming so ostentatious for me that i don't think that i would be comfortable but you know if i had 218 million dollars to drop um and not feel it in any way i would still have some some issue with the fact that it's just a house, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel like I, mean, I could do more. This bathroom looks like the size of some people's apartments. Well, it looks like the size of some people's houses. This well, alone. That's true. Yes. <laughs> I mean, apartment aside, you know, my office is the size of a New York apartment. This is palatial. <laughs> has its own dock. Well, it's its own private island, so of course it has its own dock. This is a living space. It, it, they didn't say the living space. They said... No, I noticed that. <laughs> a living space inside the home on Tarpon Island, a private island in Palm Beach. Every, like every time there's a caption... number seven. <laughs> yeah, really. And it's just expansive. Uh, but it doesn't seem... 
I, I want to scroll back and take a look at something. Yeah, it looks like it's just barely two stories, you know, um, but inside it, it actually looks kind of, if you were to turn off the lights, it looks dark. Yeah, which is odd because you'd think in a location like this, you'd have lots of windows and sunlight. Yeah, um, it's interesting. There isn't that I much. What I do like though is like you have the private, um, you know, causeway or whatever to get over to your island, etc. But inside the house is just too much. Yeah, you're one you're one storm away from being Gilligan. <laughs> and for those of you who have never heard of Gilligan's Island, go look it up. Um, please don't make me feel old. I do that on my own. The new main house is over 9,000 square feet with the guest house, tennis pavilion, and other structures. The property now has over 21,000 feet of living space. There are 11 bedrooms, 15 full bathrooms, seven half baths. Ah, it, it just, it just screams ostentatious, you know, with a Mediterranean style giants festooned with gold carvings and mahogany, Tarpon Island is a study in modern simplicity. I don't know about that. Where the star of the home is sweeping water views on all four sides. Is that sweeping? It looks like you can look out one uh, every corner and there's right stuff within throwing. I mean, distance. it's surrounded by water, but it's not. This sweeping. article doesn't do a good job of featuring the views. For example, looking out of a big window in the living room or something. So apparently the developer said that they came over a bridge uh, over the bridge, saw two trees and said, guys, let's knock down the garage and the guest house and the maids quarters and let's build a brand new house. <laughs> Cause isn't that what you do? <laughs> Why not? Hopefully they removed the guests from the guest house and made from the maids quarters. Right. Let's move on to the next article. Uh, the next article is over in the Daily News Show. A Carvana or Carvana M, uh, customer says that he bought his wife a luxury car for $68,000, but it turned out to be stolen. A North Carolina man unknowingly purchased a stolen Mar Maserati from Carvana. WT WTVD reported. He claims he discovered the Maserati was stolen while having it serviced months after the purchase. Carvana stock soared during the pandemic, but its market value has fallen in 20 or since um, 2022. It actually uh, is looking pretty poor for Carvana. But anyway, um, let's uh, let's jump on over. Um, Jordan Hart uh, is the author of this over at Business Insider. And if you've never seen Carvana, basically they're known for having this vertical elevator of cars where you can... Uh, take one for a spin simply by flipping through a, a, an electronic catalog and saying, I want that. And then uh, they'll bring it down. You can go for a test spin. And if you want it, drive it away. So let's see. Well, I'm not going to bother looking at their stock. I did not, normally I would, but Carvana is kind of like old last year's kind of thing. Let me pause this. Um, 
Army veteran Jason Scott told WTVD that he'd purchased what he believed was a 2021 Maserati from Carvana as a birthday present for his wife in November. And everything was fine until he took the vehicle to be serviced at a Maserati dealership in February. According to the report, a technician at the dealership discovered that parts of the car didn't match the year on the car's paperwork or the vehicle's identification number. The tech told Scott the car was actually a 2017 Maserati and that it was stolen. Wow. Okay, so it was over $300 per share in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, it's $8.19, and that's <laughs> up a few dollars recently. Yeah. So yeah. it was down like three, down to $5 and something. Yeah, there, there's there been a lot of problems with it, but I think it's largely... Uh, it's overextended my what i think is it's overextended and because of the cost of cars people weren't buying and instead of actually selling its inventory through it it, it just wasn't moving anything well now prices for cars are uh, apparently dropping but you can't finance them they're too expensive to finance well, right, and I think they've really been hampered by the pandemic and the supply chain issues because I think they kind of took off right near the beginning of the pandemic. And then, of course, used cars became super expensive, and that's all they sell. They don't sell new cars. And then I think they were actually impacted by that. Um, remember, there was like a sinking of a container ship that had cars, and I thought. Maybe they were one of the ones impacted, but maybe I've got that wrong. Mm, it's a discount. The engine's flooded. Okay. Well, it says, uh, she said, well, we can't trade the vehicle back uh, until you bring the vehicle back. I said, I can't bring the vehicle back. The police have the vehicle. Scott told the company, according to WTVD, Scott said his attorney eventually sent a letter to Carvana demanding $1 million in compensation for financial and reputational losses and a public apology. That's a stretch. Yeah, I don't see uh, (laughs) that happening, but I mean, that is pretty embarrassing (laughs) if you're an upstanding citizen and then all of a sudden your car is pulled off as stolen by the police. Yeah, because you're the one that has to educate the public as to the facts. Right. What I don't understand is why didn't Carvana actually verify the... um, Well, and how did they, like with the title and everything, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't understand how, how how this could actually happen. Anyway, it says, I know they say they have a 150-point inspection. I want them to have 151. Check to see if the vehicle's stolen. I mean, I'm applauding this consumer. <laughs> At least uh-huh. they're, they've got a sense of humor about yes, it. Yes, exactly. So nothing focuses us like difficulty. CEO Ernest Garcia told investors on a third quarter earnings call in November, and the last several quarters have undoubtedly been difficult. Yeah, well, <clears throat> you just purchased a stolen vehicle. I, I guess um, you're going to have a little bit more uh, receiving stolen via, uh, stolen property is illegal. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're going to have more than stock price issues. <laughs> and to just sit there and go, well, we didn't know it was stolen. 
Yeah, because you have to do the due diligence to verify that you're buying a product that isn't stolen. Well, and I don't know, I'm assuming for used car dealerships is the same thing, but car dealerships have a lot of um, responsibilities, right? They take on some of the, maybe the licensing and registration of vehicles, et cetera. I mean, they're performing a fairly important function. And if they're doing it without checking information, I mean, that's almost on par with a, a tax accountant or a lawyer or other yeah things. just rubber just rubber stamping everything's good you know this is horrible this is really bad for the reputation anyway so um again this is over at business insider and it's by jordan hart just in case i didn't say it here let's move on to the next article um this one's over in the mobile channel uh pennsylvania school uh, district files lawsuit against norfolk southern over east palestine um it's is it palestine Palestine. Sorry, I mispronounced that. I think it's Palestine. Um, I don't think we've ever heard it one way or the other for this. No, I I think it's Palestine. Um, Definitely, it's Palestine. Um, Over East Palestine train uh, crash, a Pennsylvania school district is suing Norfolk Southern over the impacts of the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment that led to the release of toxic chemicals and forced thousands thousands to evacuate for days. The lawsuit from Black Hawk School District in Beaver County, located on Pennsylvania's western border with Ohio, is the latest of several several uh, facing Norfolk Southern, which operated the train that derailed. East Palestine residents filed a class action suit last month, and the Ohio state government filed a suit earlier this month um, against the train company. I wonder what their stock is trading at right now. Uh, Jared Gans over at The Hill is the author. And uh, yeah, there's that hot mess of a plume of toxic whatever being blown into the air. And everybody was told, oh, it's better that it is um, being blown up into smoke. Uh, I'm always shocked when somebody says that. So what do you think? Well, the stock is over $200 per share, um, interestingly. Um, but I also think it's interesting that a school district is suing them because that's not one of the expected um, suits. So they must have been very close to the impact area. So it says the release of the toxic, hazardous, and dangerous chemicals was without regard to Black Hawk School District, its students and staff, the complaint states. Instead, the toxic fires and deadly plumes dumped a lethal cocktail on plaintiffs' buildings, property, and soil and water supplies where deposits of the toxic materials have been found. Um, I agree. that There should have been a different way of containing this and burning it off just throws the particulates up into the air um and and here's my problem with that there are incomplete combustions there they're in incomplete ignitions so the material isn't absolutely vaporized and made neutral it's the reason why you have forest fires that spread via sparks so this may be a liquid, but it doesn't just vaporize every single last drop of it. It actually picks up, it boils in place and and bits of it go floating off. So that's, 
I mean, that's what you're seeing up in the air and all, not all of it is is burnt off cleanly so the district is suing the train company for a variety of charges including negligence public nuisance future health monitoring and trespass which is interesting your stuff came into our property um, the district requested a jury trial for the case i i would not be surprised if they just settle out of court and that school gets a healthy injection of capital um which still doesn't make this okay but at least for financial purposes it should be beneficial to the school district right but you know you let a company do stuff like this it destroys the local environment it destroys a wider area of the environment and harms the population close and far away you don't know what the long-term outcome of it is going to be ultimately and uh, the problem is that it's going to be an immediate issue and then written off and then they're going to raise their rates and recoup the losses and the rates aren't ever going to decline the rates are going to go up um so hell i wouldn't be surprised if they charge the company or the town for replacing the railroad tracks exactly and i i don't know i just think the fact that this school was so close to this um uh, explosion crash whatever you want to call it like it shouldn't be this close to train tracks i know the train derailed but i mean that's a problem in and of itself and we've seen that in other crashes in the news where there's just not much of a separation between commercial transit and residential oh and that is where it is i mean it drives right through the town yeah i mean some towns are built right around that stuff so the, the only problem is that it had toxic chemicals in it and not secure enough to survive a derailment. Right, but that could have even been a safety issue even without the toxic chemicals, right? Sure. Because Absolutely. if it crashes into somebody's yard or the playground or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next article. Um, this next one is over in the Mobile Channel. And um, it says toothpaste, tablets, and syrup on tap. U.S. refill shops cut the container. This is going to be an interesting article. It's over at fizz.org, but it says toothpaste tabs plunk into a jar. Maple syrup flows viscously from a spout. Dishwasher powder crunches under the tip of a metal scoop. A chorus of consumer goods lacks one uh, familiar sound. The crinkle of plastic wrap. So let's go over to Becca Milfeld over at fizz.org who put this article together. Um, and it says at Mason and Greens in Washington, the lack of packaging is the point. A small shop selling household goods and groceries is among dozens of zero waste refill stores sprouting up in U.S. cities from Brooklyn to Los Angeles. Customers bring in their own containers from used jars to Tupperware to fill the bulk items. The store even has had... Uh, people bring in the sleeves that their newspaper come in, um, according to owner Anna Marino, who's 34 and who told AFP. And then what is AFP? It doesn't say. At least not yet. Anyway, Marino says the aim is to help anyone from novices to experts on their journey toward less waste, citing paper towels as a personal catalyst. 
quitting paper towels was one of the first things that my family did. And it was a significant reduction in the waste that we were creating on a week weekly basis. I, I guess every little bit counts, but somehow I don't think that I think improper recycling services is the problem. Um, obviously consumption is a problem, but we're human and we want to have a, I don't know, a more luxurious life than living in a cave and chasing down uh, a bison, you know? I, <laughs> I guess I'm the, uh, an anomaly. Um, reusable paper towels made of cloth are just one of the products she now sells at her store. Those are called towels. Um, where beans and oats fill wall-mounted dispensers, metal containers hold vinegar and olive oil, and uh, shelves are stocked with package-free artisanal bread, veggies, and vegan food. What do you think? Two thoughts on it. I really like it from a, a single-use plastic standpoint, obviously reducing the amount of plastic. I don't like it from a, like a health and safety standpoint because I don't necessarily want other people coming into contact with things like my soap or my laundry detergent or my olive oil or whatever it is. And I feel like that's happening with this setup. Yeah, there is, um, there is an olive oil company um, or a business where you can go and get olive oil. It's like artisanal olive oil um, near Ohmtown. And uh, it's been, well, we here in Ohmtown have used it. But you're right. Some people are going to take exception to this. Like, why? Why would I want to go over to this little bin and grab dishwashing powder um using a scoop that everybody else has used and i've witnessed some really bad people do horrible things uh to bulk purchased food and and uh, goods so i i'm not surprised that uh, someone would get a little bent out of shape about it i I think that the better solution would be to have a more robust recycling service that taxpayers are paying for. Uh, we might as well use our money to facilitate keeping the earth beautiful instead of everybody having to, I don't know, just change the way that we function entirely. The, this well, creates and if we a use thing you um like you've talked about on other episodes we yeah. could still have individual packaging and do some good but not have some of the downsides of this yeah yeah particularly if if the recycling services are robust enough to maintain the fact that uh if it's glass then almost all of it is always recyclable. The, the only time it's not is when it has some weird chemical makeup. Um, the only problem is that it's not, it's a safety issue. So um, then you switch to something like steel or aluminum, even though aluminum can react, so can steel, you know, but there are other more natural uh, resistant lacquers and not plastic. 
Um, anyway, the whole idea about this is to, like it says here in this caption, reduce, reuse, um, and recycle. We can't recycle our, our way out of the plastics crisis. And I don't think that that's true. I think that we absolutely can. The problem is we've, we don't have a society that promotes recycling of plastics and we have a bigger problem about plastics. And it's definitely not just the fact that it's sitting around, not decomposing in a safe way. It's getting into humans and the food chain. So, and the oceans and the everywhere it's everywhere. Um, so at any rate, the, the whole idea here, I think that it's great. Um, for those who buy into it, but I still want, I want things to be as sterile as possible, um, particularly in a post COVID world. So. I like and, the attempt here. I just don't know if it's something that I would want to use myself. Yeah. I mean, there's, there, <laughs> We still have the scars of COVID-19 and people are now working and handling the the food here in this picture without a mask on, um, which is just shocking to me. Um, I, I, you know, for the most part, I don't care if you're out and about doing whatever you want to do and not wearing a mask. But if you're handling food, I think that it's still prudent to wear a mask. Um, so anyway, that's just me here in hometown. So let's move on. Let's go on to the next article. Um, we're about 80% of the way through, I think. Um, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark struck a deal to run their 200 plus advanced fighter jets as a single fleet, creating a new headache for Russia. The four Nordic countries agreed to operate their roughly 250. As we keep moving down the uh, article, we'll end up at about 5,000, I think. Um, cause we just <clears throat> added what? Well, we added 50 right there. Uh, added well, 50 plus, 200. right? Yeah. Um, 50 plus jets. So the Nordic uh, countries agreed to operate their roughly 250 fighter jets in one fleet. Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark have modern air force, uh, that include F-35s, which is, um, a, a, uh, strike fighter that has uh, a lot of flexibility. So if you want it to be long distance reconnaissance, you can load it up with fuel bays. If you want it to be, um, uh, air dominance, uh, fighter that's uh, tactical in nature, then you can load it up with missiles. If you want it to be a bomber, you can load it up with bombs. Um, it's pretty, pretty amazing kit. It's also the one that was cloned by uh, China um, after a, the, let's just say the timing was exquisite in that its discovery as being in production came after um, a security breach at um, a defense contractor. Anyway, um, the air forces of four Nordic countries agreed to operate their fleets of around 250 fighter jets as a combined force that should probably make uh putin um a little bit a little bit bothered um alia shobe is the author of this article over at business insider it's a pretty jet um 
it's weird saying that about something like that. But anyway, they joined forces to deter uh, Russia. And, that's interesting. Uh, is it kind of like acting like a NATO? That's exactly what it is. The, the yeah. ultimate goal is to be able to operate seamlessly together as one force by developing a Nordic concept for joint air operations based on already known NATO methodology, Denmark's Air Force said in a statement per Bloomberg. So Reuters says something similar. Um, and it says here, uh, I think the, it's a pretty brief article. Um, Do you remember other than something formal like NATO, can you think of a time where countries have done something like this? I cannot. Um, not like that. Um, there are many countries that have agreements with other countries to interoperate. Um, but four countries sharing a, uh, a fighter jet, um, seems unique to me. So like, I, we have, um, interests in Syria. And so we are in the United States by we, not hometown. Um, the, uh, the United States has interests in Syria. So we supply certain resources, right? So that is just an agreement, but having four countries all work together outside of something formal and, and serious, like major, like NATO, um, seems unique to me. Um, but uh, geopolitics is really not uh, my area of expertise. So there could be historical uh, configurations like this. Um, I'd have to do some due diligence and, and maybe I can do that uh, between now and tomorrow's show. We can, if this pops up in hometown again, we can uh, discuss it further. We, we tend to do that. So <laughs> kind of close the door on something that opens in a previous episode when an update occurs. Um, yeah, it's pretty neat. So good luck to you four, because I have a feeling that Russia is trying to put the band back together, considering they just put nukes in Belarus or plan to put nukes yeah. in Belarus. That's also an hometown today. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Uh, everything is a wildly expensive all over the world. So let's see 12 cities around the world where you can live cheaply from $300 a month rents to, does that really say one cappuccino? $1 cappuccinos. Yes. Um, many Americans are moving abroad in search of cheaper housing, food, and more laid back lives. Insider compiled the list of 12 cities around the world where the cost of living is relatively low. And again, you click on this little link, it'll take you straight over to the source. It's in the show notes. Now you can go right through all roads lead to everything from hometown and everything leads to hometown. Alcina Lloyd is the uh, author of this over at Business Insider. That looks pretty. That looks like a, is that Greece? Oh, that's where that is. Tenerife, right? Tenerife. Yeah, I've read quite a bit about that, but I've never actually seen a picture of it. Santa Cruz de Tenerife um, in Spain. Um, for those who are listening to this via the podcast, basically it's a whole bunch of colorful roofs, something that you would see more along the lines around like, uh, uh, what is it? Is it Greece? Yeah. I mean, it is kind of reminiscent of Greece. I don't know. 
Right, the island that has all of it, or not? It's like not just the blue and white. And the everything. blue and white, everything. Yeah. Um, but let's let's go through this list real quick. I won't read everything uh, like I always do. I encourage you to follow the link and go over and read more about it. Um, but they have um, a list of twelve. I'm gonna pause this because, well, anyway, this little side video is sometimes disturbing. Uh, Bucharest, Romania. Population of just shy of 2 million people in 2021. Average monthly rent for a one-bedroom home in the city center is less than $500. It looks like it's U.S. dollars, so um, I'll assume that it's U.S. dollars. The average cost to buy a 1,000-square-foot home in the city center is $240,000. That, in the grand scheme of things, is pretty cheap for being in the city center. Um, cost of a cappuccino is $2.83, so you got to get your priorities straight. But it's still really expensive for a, a three-meal course for two people, 50 bucks. A three-course meal? So what, like salad, the main, and then dessert? Yeah, but I didn't know if it was something more formal. Like one of those um, restaurants where you go to and they have the, specific courses. The fufu ones? Because if so, then that sounds relatively inexpensive. But I agree, yeah. if you're just getting a salad with your entree or whatever, that seems kind of high. Obviously, depending on where you live, all of these numbers have a level of uh, cultural relativism. <laughs> so if you're in New York and you're uh, looking for a three course meal, it might be closer to $80. Um, as is the gym membership. So um, let's see, Cape Town, South Africa. I don't know. I've been told shy away from South Africa. Uh, population 4.6, uh, 4.76 million as of uh, 2021. Average monthly rent, $642. You want to buy a 1,000 square foot home, it's $183,000. Cappuccinos are pretty cheap. Let's see what else. Cartagena, Colombia. Uh, just shy of a million people. Actually, just shy of 900,000 people as of 2020. Oh, cheaper cappuccino. Yeah, is that how this is actually... Uh, rated? I don't know. Uh, they it... seem like they're in descending order, but maybe that's just happenstance. So 407 bucks um, for monthly costs, excluding housing, 407 bucks. Average monthly rent for a one bedroom in the city is $474. I'm rounding up, folks. Average 1,000 square foot home in the city center is $194,000. Let's keep going. Let's go. Chiang Mai, Thailand. Um, I have never been to Thailand. This does not look legit. This looks like a like it's an artist Getty. rendering or something yeah but it's a getty image i don't know if they have art in getty images but maybe they do um i don't recall at this point anyway 1.21 million people in as of 2023 according to the cia world Factbook. um you can find out what it's known for i, I won't go into all of that but average monthly rent for a one-bedroom home in the city center 352 dollars I keep hearing about people wanting to move to Thailand because it's cost effective, but 
I don't know. I don't know how people are feel about Americans nowadays, you know? Yeah, well, and I think this article, if you read through all of it, it has blurbs at the end of each place about things that might be detractors from the places, like how they think about people moving in from different countries, et cetera. Um, but yeah. yeah, I suspect sentiment is not very high right now. Yeah, I guess for some, some people, I don't know. Anyway, Georgetown, Malaysia is the next one. Monthly rent is $330. I'm rounding up again. Um, cost of, wait, that can't be right. That has to be a typo, a mistake. Average cost to buy a 1,000 square foot home in the city is 135 bucks. <laughs> I thought it was the rent. That's why I didn't think that was it. <laughs> it's yeah, probably. That's, that's definitely wrong. 135,000 maybe or yeah, something like that. <laughs> we'll go with that. Oh, it's not stacked by um, price of a cappuccino because that's significantly higher than the previous jaipur india three million people average monthly rent uh, for a one bedroom is 145 bucks um i've been told in india you better have uh, a dash cam um average cost to buy a 1000 square foot home in the city is 151 thousand uh, dollars but a cappuccino is pretty cheap a three-course meal for three course two. Three-course meal. I just noticed that. Twelve dollars? That's insane. So they've got a bunch of uh, other data here for you. So I, I don't know. I don't want to go through all of them, really. So not like line by line. It's just not like that. Larissa Grease, um, $184,000 for a 1,000 square foot house. Let me speed up a little bit. Puebla, Mexico. Um. $73,000 for a 1,000 square foot house. The rest of this stuff, you know, I, I'm interested in, you know, getting land and, and staying out of, uh, busy city centers, Rabat, Morocco, um, 187 or $189,000 for a 1,000 square foot house. Monthly cost for a family of four, excluding housing is 1600 bucks four times the rent yeah that's that's off from some of the other ones that i paid attention to those numbers because they were kind of comparable with the living costs santa cruz bolivia monthly costs 1800 bucks that's interesting i wonder what's driving all those that's over four times the monthly rent They brought Tenerife back into this. Oh, and that's it. So, yeah. Interesting article. Um, here, let's move on to the next article. Definitely follow the link through hometown and go and check it out. Um, we only have two more articles. This next one is tech workers are taking to TikTok to debate fake work. Former tech staffers have taken to TikTok to discuss and debate fake work. Some said they witnessed or experienced not having enough work to do. Others showed busy schedules. Earlier this year, a PayPal mafia, Keith uh, Raboy, said he believes Meta and Google overhired. Well, a lot of people said that they overhired, um, but okay. Um, 
it is the ebb and flow of tech work. You see a lot of people try and compete or companies try and compete. They hire a bunch with an expected growth spurt of some kind. They ramp up their hiring and then they end up firing people, tens of thousands of people. Uh, Grace K and Samantha Deloya, Deloya, right? I guess. Um, I don't know how to pronounce their last name. So if you know it, uh, get in touch with the mayor. I will correct my pronunciation. Um, so I'm I'm really not surprised um, that people are being let go. Uh, there was a, a big push during the pandemic to move online, hire a bunch of people that were capable, um, fire people that are in uh, I don't know places and spaces that they didn't want to come back into work or they weren't capable of working. Um, so they switched to digital and hired people. It, the, the reasons are myriad, but um, earlier this month, Kendall Smith, known for uh, by her TikTok name as uh, Royally SM or Royal, Royal Sim, Royalism, Royalism. Yeah. Um, shared a story from Insider about PayPal Mafia member Keith Reboy saying, uh, workers at Meta and Google were doing fake work. Since Raboy's comments, the notion has gained some traction with several Silicon Valley investors and founders. Quote, I 100% agree and can confirm this is the case, Smith said in the video. When I was at Facebook the last year or so, I just felt like an internal fight over work. Smith says on her LinkedIn profile that she worked for the company as a marketing manager from 2018 to 2022. Her video has garnered over 430,000 views on TikTok and multiple people who claimed uh, to be Meta and Google workers have also weighed in on that video. Um, so it says overhiring is not a problem unique to Meta or Google. There are many large corporations that grossly overhire and leave it. Uh, to employees to create their own defensible uh, scope of work, which is weird. Um, but yeah, I, it's kind of like if they don't have a need, why are they hiring somebody to begin with? Well, and also, why are they letting the employees shape the direction of the company? <laughs> that's the thing that um, is apparently unique in Silicon Valley um, in that you have to create your own. Uh, identity there, I guess. Uh, I've never worked in one of those in a, a mega company, um, but the idea of hiring a lot of people it shows that you are a growing company, and if you can show those numbers to an investor, hey, look, we just added ten thousand people, um, and uh, we want your investment. Um, will but they can fire people at any given moment and so depending on which podcaster you listen to and which person business person consultant you talk to um, they'll sit there and go yeah it's easy to hire and fire people you ramp them up you fire them when you're going to fire 100 you fire 200 because you know you're going to ultimately have to do it anyway so you know fire deeper than you would normally fire and it's very dystopian um you know the 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 job providers are now the ones that are just sitting there going, well, I can, it's so dissociated from society and from humanity 
uh, to just treat everybody as if they're cattle being led to the slaughter. I mean, it's just, it's rather disgusting to me. Uh, but it shows that you are a growing company. If you don't add new people to the payroll, then you're a stagnating business and not growing, not expanding. It isn't just the bottom line. It's physically growing in size and greater profits each quarter. Um, so there's a whole lot in this article. Um, lots of quotes from different people, different sources from you know, LinkedIn, from Google, from all over the place. Um, but they apparently have a counter view, the exact opposite of my experience. Not everyone at Meta, which employs 75,000 people as of earlier this year, agrees to the notion that employee employees were hired to do little to, it says no work, but it's a typo. Um, one TikTok creator, Ariana Tong said uh, she couldn't disagree more with the idea of fake work at Meta. Quote, I've seen so many videos chiming in and saying they did fake work at Meta. I want to show you what my schedule looked like because this is the, this was the exact opposite of my experience. And then they showed a video or a photo of what their schedule was, um, which showed back to back events with the word two having a zero, <laughs> unless that's a capital O. Um, she worked as a partnership manager at the company and then a board member on Meta's new production experimentation creator product advisory council. Jeez, that is one long business card uh, for nearly two years before leaving the company in March, according to her LinkedIn. Well, not everybody. Go ahead. I was going to say she's management. She's not a worker bee. Yeah, she's so. not doing software engineering. She's she's administrative in what appears to be purely administrative. You don't end up as a board member on an advisory council because you're spending 12 hours a day doing software engineering. It's it's a <laughs> It's just a completely different perspective. Administrators do a lot of administrating. They don't sit there and do the day in, day out, boots on the ground work that software engineers are doing in a tech company. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It's just a bad take, at least in my perspective, that's a bad take. But let's do our last article for tonight. Um, this last one is, unless you want to talk about that other one more. No? Okay. Nope. Um, so this last one is Dark and Darker has been delisted on Steam following legal action from Nexon. I'm just going to go straight over to the article's source. Um, I know about this from different channels. Uh, it just happens to also come to us via PC Gamer. Um, Jonathan Bolding over at PCGamer.com put this article together and it says developer Iron Maze has been served a cease and desist order. Um, apparently the, pardon me, my nose was itching. Everybody needs to know that. Um, Too much up, information. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, so up and coming fantasy extraction game Dark and Darker has been taken down from Steam following a cease and desist as well as DMCA claim by publisher Nexon. It's an apparent escalation of Nexon's existing dispute with Dark and Darker developer Iron Mace around the game's development assets. So what's going on is that there were people that were in Nexon um, 
that apparently left. Um, this is my understanding of what went down. And um, at the same time, apparently Dark and Darker spun up as Iron Mace. And the assets apparently are matching the ones from an undeveloped private game called P3. Um, I'm not sure if all of that is in this article. Um, but yeah. Oh, there it is. So um, this latest ex escalation is part of an ongoing legal dispute between Nexon and Iron Mace, as well as a personal legal dispute between Nexon and Iron Mace employees. Employees at Iron Mace were formerly working at Nexon on a project called P3, canceled in 2021 that Nexon alleges bears similarity to Dark and Darker, seemingly implying that Iron Mace used stolen assets and code to create its game. Well, this is not Iron, this is not um, either Dark and Darker or anything from either of the companies, as far as I know. I mean, anyway, it had 50-50 shot and it's still something else. Yep. Um, Dark and Darker, it says here, uh, Dark and Darker is an extraction shooter, but it's also a first-person dungeon-crawling uh, fantasy game basically you have to get in do your thing get out it's very um well you kind of like live die repeat kind of existence but when you die you lose everything so uh i don't it's kind of dark souls ish um in that when you die you have to go and get your stuff back but you actually in this you actually lose everything um that you had um so you go in, you open a portal, you get out. When you go in, you kill other players, you get loot, and you try to get out, that kind of thing. Um, nothing is perpetual in that space. It, it regenerates and it's um, uh, procedural, so it changes all the time. Uh, no two maps are the same. Apparently, it's all the rage. Um, not my cup of tea, because uh, I don't like the grind. Um, but anyway, it says, uh, one that Lauren Morton said proves extraction shooters don't have to be shooters at all. It's open alphas over the past few months have proven very popular popping into the 100 or so most played games on steam for the weekends that it's been available. Um, but th this, this is really heavy handed, you know, um, if they do have evidence that this is, uh, so if it's an idea and not actual stolen code, then um, Nexon is in some serious shit because they've right. pulled Dark and Darker off of Steam, which has a massive following. Um, and, and it said they had an open alpha coming up in a few weeks, so they're going to lose that. But what if it is stolen code? Well, I mean, it's going to be... The problem is that they are basically guilty before they are... Oh, yeah. And, I mean, is this a normal occurrence for delisting on Steam? If there's Steam. a legal dispute, then, yeah. I mean... They can't leave something up that 
Right, that could be violating something. I it's a DMCA I think we did have another article so, about that, yeah. Yeah, and it's all because of the DMCA. If there is a claim that something is stolen or violating rights, then they, the only prudent thing for a business to do is to pull it offline. Um, transformative or not. Now, my problem is if Nexon sits there and says, well, they stole our idea. Well, no, an idea is not worth the paper it's printed on until it's delivered. So even the idea, the embodiment would have to be different. And what's saying now that because of the popularity of Dark and Darker, Nexon doesn't go, well, we should make a clone of that. Because the original game might have been fundamentally different, but Iron Maze mutated it into Dark and Darker. But we don't know yet. Um, it's just that this is a, a very popular game. Um, and now it's a much more public dispute. Instead of it all being done behind closed doors and discussed, this is impacting Iron Mace's reputation, its future earnings, its livelihood as an entity. Um, but again... Absolutely. I mean, there are... They had materials seized from their offices. Well, apparently nothing was found. So it says at the time, Iron May said that absolutely no stolen assets or code were used to make our game and that player should not worry as nothing was found. So having things seized and the evidence actually being there are two different animals. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they could seize a box of materials and then look through it and go, there's nothing there. But now I'm curious, you know, what if it's real easy to find something, <laughs> you know? I I just don't, I don't like it. I don't like this. Um, Clearly, Japanese-Korean game publishing giant Nexon disagrees, though. As yet, no legal details are forthcoming. So, um, Yeah. And this is like outside the outside. You know, we're so far outside from this. Uh, we're looking in going, wow, that's really interesting. But we're not going to find out anything. And depending on what side of the fence Iron Maze falls on the political agenda they're going to lose this regardless of right. public amount of uh, like any real evidence. I just don't know how it's going to turn out. Anyway, interesting all the same. Again, this is over at uh, PC gamer by uh, Jonathan Bolding dark and darker delisted on steam following legal action from Nexon. They pointed their, uh, sword at steam and steam had to take it all down but that's it folks that is uh hometown daily news show um for march 25th 2023 it's time's going by fast just go over to hometown.com click on that little logo there and you will get a whole bunch of uh news articles at one point there were a whole bunch of articles from uh, the wrong source due to a glitch from that source. Um, but it has since been remedied. Um, again, six main categories, 
currently only 50, uh, 47 uh, channels. We've got three that are deactivated right now. Um, they might come back. Maybe they'll change shape. Depends on um, the topic because I change things periodically. Um, but these main categories remain the same. So go and check it out. Hometown.com. Don't forget, though, we're over here on Twitch as well. Twitch.tv slash hometown. We're over on YouTube. YouTube.com slash hometown. We've got a podcast. Just do a search for hometown. Um, in fact, just do a search for hometown anywhere. And you can catch that pod wherever you catch pods with a pod catcher to catch pods. One of these days, I'm going to learn how to catch a pod. Oh, you're an AI. It's real easy. I mean, you could just type in hometown podcast and it'll provide it. Um, okay. Well, that's it, folks. You want to say bye to everybody there, AI? Good night, hometown citizens, and we will see you at tomorrow's show. 9 p.m. Eastern. Be there or don't? I don't know. Oh, look. My bot actually threw it. Perfect timing. Hometown.showbot.tv. Go vote for your favorite articles each day. It did that on its own. That's very kind of you. It wasn't the AI that did that, folks. Anyway. Do you want to take credit for it, AI? No. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the AI was busy starting to gather articles for tomorrow's show. Well... Okay. Thank you very much. See you tomorrow, folks. Bye-bye.